We're taking a trip back in time on this throwback consumer goods edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. Sean Riley here at Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Tuesday, April 26, 2016, and joining me in studio is Vincent Shen and Mark Reith. Who let you in here? Been a long time, my friend. What the? <laughs> Welcome to the studio. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having um, me. Long time no see. For our listeners that don't know you, mm. when did we last do a podcast together? You and I? Yeah. This was up in Mackey in the other studio. It was very old school. Yeah. We were young and naive. It was simpler times. Uh, probably we almost put a on year blazers ago. like jerks. We tried to look good and now we just don't even bother. <laughs> yeah. No, it was different times. But yeah, it was almost a, almost a year ago. So I'm happy to be back, uh, get the dynamic duo back together, get to hang out with Vinny for the first time in a while. It's great. Um, yeah, had you met Vince before this show? You know, I've heard of him uh, and I've absolutely seen some of the industry focuses that you guys have done. They've been spectacular. Uh, so like I said, I'm looking forward to working with you, man. It's going to be fun. So um, I guess the, I would say the theme of the show is we're going to go take a trip back in time mm -hmm. and kind of update the audience on the stuff that you and I were talking about all the time back in the CG. But what did we call it back then? I don't even remember. It was a consumer goods countdown. Consumer uh, there countdown. There were yeah. different names for we it over the years. Again, yeah. simpler times. All this before I had even joined the Molly Fool. Right. You, yeah. you weren't missing much. Let's be real. <laughs> How many? Because we would just throw those up on Yahoo and this was not our podcast never made it to no i think uh, i think the majority of the views were my mom uh, that's and, good and that was about that's it so. <laughs> oh look at my mark he's is so cute is that your my mom impersonation i'm a little offended but let's keep going all right you do an impression of your mom. i'm kidding <laughs> nope um so first and foremost the topic that we always found ourselves talking about was of course restaurants mm. um specifically you know we'll, we'll we'll hit up mcdonald's here in a second but uh Chipotle mm -hmm. and back when we did our little little deal, they were comps were in the mid teens. Oh yeah, Talk all the, the time. Town. Absolutely, CMG. It was uh, it was uh, Chipotle was the fast casual restaurant chain of the future, and everyone wanted to be them. I actually looked up the numbers. I looked up the numbers. It was very simple to Do see. Do you deal with numbers anymore? I'm uh, a little bit. You know, I'm more of a people person now. Um, but the stock is down 30% since April 26, 2015. Just to give you an idea of how far the mighty have fallen since you and I last talked about Chipotle. Uh, and obviously, you know, we could we could go over all the different issues that it's had uh, over the last couple of months with the uh, the health stuff, the neurovirus. The the E. coli. <laughs> but you know, it was actually funny taking this trip back down memory lane. I had kind of forgotten about the fact that for nine months there, uh, Chipotle wasn't selling carnitas. You guys remember that? Like, no one talks about the carnitas issue anymore, mainly because it seems relatively small compared to E. coli. It's understandable. Right. Uh, but when I was thinking about it, I was taking a look back at the charts, and you can see how once Chipotle stopped selling carnitas, there's really only a small dip in the charts. It really didn't affect the company. All of that much sales in all, terms yeah. of sales and in terms of just share price as well, which is really weird to me. Thinking back on it now, at the time when we talked about it, you know, we, we just kind of shrugged it off. But it's like uh, for three fourths of a, a year, the company wasn't selling one of its main food ingredients, and nothing happened to Chipotle. Nothing adverse uh, affected the stock at all. And I think a large part of that had to do with goodwill. I think, and I think yeah. we always talked about that too, about how Chipotle, like we said, it was all the way up here. It's the food with integrity. Everyone wants to be Chipotle. Everyone wants their food to have integrity. One day Chipotle finds out their carnitas don't have integrity, and so they stop selling them. And people, instead of punishing the stock, 
for losing sales because it's not selling carnitas. They praise the stock because the goodwill is so thoroughly embedded in that company. Food with integrity, they're sticking with their guns, they're not selling carnitas, it's for the benefit of everybody. And then E. coli struck, and now we're down 30% in the they're, last 12 months. They're trying to make good on it because they huh. actually, what day, because we went a couple of weeks later because they're giving away free burritos, but <laughs> when did they, they actually close every store yep. for like a day yep. so they could have a company wide meeting and all that stuff? And now, um, I was preparing the notes for the show, I don't have a ton, but um, now they're going to, they said we're going to lose about a dollar a share this quarter. Oh, yeah. Like, it is staggering the difference that's happened there. Well, a big part of the swing, too, is the Carnitas thing that you mentioned, that's preemptive. Hmm. And that's something that they basically had control over. They basically so they they decided rewarded. no longer to offer that. Hmm. In this case, with the E. coli outbreak, they had no control over that. Like Once the sicknesses started being reported and the CDC got involved, you know, the press will take that and gladly run with it. And once the CDC wrapped up their investigation, they said you know, they could never even find the source, right? Because Chipotle, frankly, has a lot more fresh ingredients than your average like quick service. It's actually restaurant. harder to control, so yeah. So, you know, you combine that fact, but you know, once the CDC did actually end their investigation, it's not like you know, it was on the front page of these uh, different media websites where they're announcing, oh, it's okay again. So, Chipotle now, what you mentioned with the town hall, when they closed for those five hours on that day, it was in February. You know, now they're trying to lure everybody back in. So they mentioned actually, they had 5.3 million requested free burritos because they gave that rain check offer. And they're actually. I would think that 300,000 of those were actual legitimate ruined lunch plans. Dis- and well, the I would rest say were- there's probably a, <laughs> maybe like a quarter of those actually distinct people and a lot of others were like one? people trying to of double I did. up. What are you crazy? You think E. coli is going to scare me away from a free Chipotle burrito? Well, I was going to ask, like, I don't think anybody at this table stopped going there. Heck no. I Absolutely. Was, it was nice because for once I didn't have to wait in line. It's a shorter line. This is great. Well, and uh, these people in my building, I ran into a, a friend of mine in the lobby, and he was like, "Oh, did you hear they're closing all the Chipotle's forever?" Because if you call them, like, the company is fine. <laughs> well, the company is fine. I think yeah. deep down, the the long the long term growth of the company is still pretty assured. Obviously, so Chipotle reports earnings, I think, today. Yes, actually. they do, after the close. Later today, yeah. Um, so, there's going to be a lot to watch there. Analysts are expecting huge drops in revenue, uh, and even small, uh, smaller ones in EPS. I think the main thing to watch, and you both touched on it with the free burritos, Chipotle is doing everything in its power to lure customers back to their stores. You know, We might be uh, joking around about how E. coli is not scaring us off from our burritos, but it scared a lot of people off. Right. And they've been, tra- they've been spending so much much money to bring those people back with free burritos days. Think about how much money you lose countrywide if you close all of your stores for five hours. You think five hours, that's nothing, but that adds up. So, I'm thinking this quarter, uh, we're going to see a lot of drops. I really just want to see, like I said before, uh, the goodwill uh, return to this company. I think once it regains customers' trust, uh, then I think you're going to see the numbers tick back up. I think Chipotle still has a lot of long-term growth ahead of it. I think people will trust it once more sometime in the future. Probably not tomorrow. Probably not till the CDC gives it the all-clear one last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I, I'm not worried about Chipotle over the long term. I'm also curious to see before we uh, move on to talking about uh, the Golden Archers here, but I'm also going to see if they're going to keep buying back their stock. They actually mm-hmm. bought back $787 million worth of shares between November 1st and March 14th at an average price of 493 a share, so not quite profitably at their 440 But um, Yeah, but you got to keep in mind, too, that 
you know, during their peak, what, in August of last year, I think it was, they're trading over seven fifty. Yeah. yeah, this is so a bargain. That's a, this is great. For them, you know, that could be seen as a very wise allocation of their resources. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they those vouchers, by the way, which my brother managed to collect 15 of them in his apartment building, and he's gradually going through them. They sent out 21 million of those in stages. Oh, wow. But they only, you know, the direct mailers, they only see their redemption rate of about 30%, call it. So That's it? Really? Yeah. Uh, so, whereas the digital one, where the you know the 5.3 million rain checks during the town hall, they see like a 60, 70 percent redemption rate. So, a lot of money is being spent on the promotions for sure. But whether or not they, you know, how much they lose actually in terms, it's not like they're giving away 26 million free burritos. If any of you listeners out there have an unredeemed coupon, please mail to full headquarters <laughs> in Alexandria, Virginia. Just pass them along. Care to of Sean O'Reilly. He <laughs> <laughs> starts stacking them all up. Fifteen. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, people just throw them away. Thirty percent redemption rate. Five days of meals. It's three square Chipotle meals a day. Exactly. In fact, if you get the loaded the bowl, you can make two meals out of that. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Thrifty. Um, So a couple of days ago, actually, on um, uh, April twenty second, I tweeted. in, I'm paraphrasing here. I feel like I blinked and McDonald's shares went from hundred dollars to hundred twenty five mm-hmm. without my knowledge. They were hanging out at a hundred bucks for like a year for a long back time. Back when there. we were, and we were just like, yeah, I don't know, they're not cool, as cool as Chipotle. They're just hanging out, and then they introduced all day breakfast, revolutionary. Which I. Is that the reason for the 25% gain? <laughs> I think it's part of it. I think that's absolutely part of the conversation. Uh, and yeah, just again, I uh, uh, t- took a look at the numbers. Last year, shares were, or excuse me, shares are up 33% in the last 12 months, which is pretty darn impressive. Uh, and and to, to your point earlier, whenever we talked about McDonald's, it was very much. It was boring. Uh, say it, it. Poo poo. <laughs> it's McDonald's. You know, it, it's old school. We've got Chipotle up here. We've got McDonald's down here. That's been the conversation for a long time. To a certain extent, it's still the conversation. But to their credit, McDonald's has done a lot to turn around their business. And like you said, I think a large part of it has to do with the all-day breakfast. You know, that's one thing that Chipotle doesn't have those breakfast menus. Uh, and and I think McDonald's does breakfast better than a lot of its competitors out there. Uh, it's also been benefiting from the uh, was it the McPick two, where you get two yep. uh, menu items for something like. Five dollars, uh, which is again, it's good value. It's a good bargain for for that customer base that uh, McDonald's is looking for. Uh, yeah, it's been a heck of a turnaround, honestly. Uh, and I, this is just my opinion, at least. I think the turnaround has a lot to do with Steve Eastbrook, the CEO who came in in March of 2015, almost a year ago, mm-hmm. when it was still, as you said, down at a hundred dollars or so per share. Now it's it way just up. hanging out. We were talking about it as a dividend just, stock. It just and that meandered was yeah. for a long time there, and then Steve Eastbrook came in, uh, and he's been great. He's uh, he's been at uh, McDonald's since the 90s. He actually left for a short period of time and got some fast casual dining experience over in England, then came back as the chief brand officer and eventually became CEO. And almost as soon as he steps in, things start turning around. They start uh, revolutionizing their menu with the uh, all-day breakfast, with the McPick 2s. They start uh, revamping stores. I think most importantly, and people always kind of uh, forget about this, out of of McDonald's 36,000 around the world locations, 30,000 them are thirty thousand of them are owned by franchisees. You got to keep those franchisees happy when your stock price and when your sales are just kind of meandering along for years and years and years. You're not going to be happy. People aren't going to be lining up to you know 
own these stores for you. Now suddenly Steve comes in, shares start going up, stores get revitalized, they bring in new menu items, start seeing sales go up at those franchisees. Now they're happy. Now people are starting to line up again for those McDonald's franchises. So again, I think a large part of this turnaround has to go to Steve Eastbrook. I think he's a huge part of this. Did either of you hear those rumors that the franchisees were actually fighting the all-day breakfast move? No, tell me more. It was just there. There was a rumor, and I I suspect it was because of like supply chain inventory management. Mm. Like, okay, how many egg McMuffins do we keep on the shelf at four p.m.? Like, sure. What are we gonna do here? But uh, I bet they're happy now. <laughs> well, it comes down <laughs> to the fact that <clears throat> when you add a major, you add basically a whole day part to the menu, and you have to serve that all day. You know, you'll have so much grill space. Yeah. And when you add those products, it makes it much more complicated. And that's actually, you know, that's absolutely what happened. The franchise is frustrated, but once you know they saw the benefit of the increased foot traffic and the fact that you know the McPick Two promotion, for example, you know they hit that on two tiers. They had the one that was for two dollars for the super value conscious, and they had one for five dollars, McPick Two for five. And you know, management has talked about how they're seeing that being able to. Uh, Essentially, appeal to two groups where some people will go in and split that, so it's still a really great value for them, but it's still, uh, you know, in step essentially with very similar promotions from Wendy's and Burger King, where they're doing these value meals again. Mm. And I think that's perfect for McDonald's because they're returning to their roots. Where, in the end, I think most people recognize the fact that it's not the best food that you're getting there. What? But wait, what? What? <laughs> Oh my! Oh my God! <clears throat> yeah. But it comes down to the fact that they want that value and they want the consistency. And you know, just a quote that I saw recently from Easterbrook, actually, where he talks about simplified menu boards, new crew training procedures. Um, really, they're looking into every single detail, like font size on the printers, the receipts, and he says things like the primary driver of customer satisfaction: getting it right, hot, fresh food, friendly service. Just hearing. Management mentioned these things again in their calls. It's like, okay, they're refocused on the right things, and this is a really nice uh, trajectory that I can think can be long term for them. Did you guys see they're making a movie about Ray Kroc? I did see that. Yes, I think it's actually it's starring be, Batman. I think it's gonna be a pretty good story. That <laughs> entire story Michael about Keaton. how he uh, how he took away like the power of McDonald's from the McDonald's the brothers. brothers. Yeah, I think it's actually gonna be a pretty fascinating movie. I I'm, I'm I'll see it. Wait, you're telling me Ben Affleck's gonna play that? Movie? No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the original. Oh, oh God, this is why we don't work together, Vinny. Jeez. <laughs> oh, um. Yeah. Michael Keaton will always be Batman. Uh, before we move on, I want to point any listeners out there that are hungry for more foolish content to focus.fool.com, where all industry-focused listeners have access to a special discount on the Motley Fool Stock Advisor newsletter. The discount works out to $129 for a full two-year subscription. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. All right, so, Mark, you get to pick. Hmm. We're going to talk about clothing now. Clothing. You want to talk about everybody's favorite uh, yoga wear retailer, Lululemon, mm-hmm. or Under Armour first? That's a good question. You know, I guess we'll start with Lululemon. And again, I took a look back at the share prices a year ago. Lululemon's only up two percent since uh, since we probably last spoke about it. Right. Uh, and the conversation was always uh, well. The conversation for a long time with Lululemon was troubles with the uh, the management Pilling. for a little while. <laughs> Pilling, for instance, was also a problem. Uh, a year ago or so, uh, those problems had kind of kind of been pushed to the side, and Lululemon was still uh, doing what they usually do. And to their credit, you know, revenues are up fifteen percent, net incomes up eleven percent. 
percent as of their last uh, quarterly filings. Um, they're still they're still firing it on does, all cylinders. It does seem like operationally they're turning the ship final. Exactly, and that, and that's very good. There's nothing wrong with that. My problem is that it's going to be tougher and tougher for Lululemon to sell these eighty dollar capris and hundred ten dollar hoodies. Do you remember the company's gross margins? Yeah, it's like fifty percent gross margin. And that's insane. And it's something you that's I was going to mention that they've started guiding gross margins down over just very slowly. I think uh, yeah, last gross margins last quarter were something like fifty one point four percent. They guided for gross margins to come down to forty seven percent this year. Yeah, this quarter. Uh, excuse me, year over year. Uh, so. And that's a small amount in the long in the long scheme of things, I suppose. And like you said, 51, that's pretty good. But it's indicative to me that their gross margins are going to start to, at least in my mind, slowly come down as more and more competitors enter this market. A year ago, if we talked about athleisure or whatever the kids are calling it these days, we probably just talked about Lululemon, maybe Gap. The with Gap's athletic athleta- stores. Yeah, yeah, sure. And that was kind of it. You're and that was kind right. of it, exactly. Yeah. Now, if we're going to have a conversation about Lululemon, a lot of other companies have to enter that conversation. Nike is coming at the athleisure wear angle uh, from the sports angle. Excuse me, Under Armour, which we're going to talk about in well, just a second. I Same was thing. Just thinking, uh, ever you know, since we last did our last show together, um, uh, mall in uh, hometown in the Midwest, huge Under Armour hmm. store just opened up. Shoes, yoga pants, shirt. I mean, huge store. I'm like, oh man, like. Well, There's only so many consumer dollars out there. So well, that's true, but you got to admit, a lot of those consumer dollars are going to Under Armour right now. If you look at their last quarterly report, I mean, my God, it's uh, what is it? Revenue growth of over twenty percent for the last twenty-four consecutive quarters. You can't deny they're doing something right over there. But again, it, it, it Under Armour is almost in the same position as Lululemon. I think Lululemon is a little bit worse off because their niche is so much nichier in that it's not just <laughs> leisure wear; it's also mainly women's leisure wear. Whereas Under Armour can kind of expand out of its niche. A little yeah. bit easier in my mind, at least. But again, there's just so much competition coming into this market now, where we're starting to see a lot of saturation. If you look at actually Under Armour's uh, pricing over the last couple of quarters, uh, uh, Morgan Stanley analyst named Jay Soul pointed out in a report recently that Under Armour uh, has uh, seen declines in the average selling price of the company's apparel for the last six quarters. Which again, it's almost like that Lululemon guiding down their gross margins just a little bit. Everyone's focused on the big numbers. The revenue is outstanding. The EPS is great, and sure, that's all fine. But there are little hints here that the saturation is starting to affect these companies. Under Armour's bringing prices down. Lululemon's gross margins are starting to get hit just a little bit. It's not gonna; these businesses aren't gonna collapse tomorrow by any stretch of the imagination. But again, when you have so many competitors coming in from every single angle into this market, whether it's low end with Walmart and Target, or high end with Victoria's Secret or Tory Burch, Beyonce has her own athleisure wear line. For God's sake. People, Beyonce. I, I, I just, I'm not you a know huge what she fan. Charges? No, I don't. <laughs> I'd have to check the price tag on the, uh, everything in my closet. Uh, but I, I, again, I think both of these companies are pretty sound. But I think the market as a whole is starting to get really crowded. Well, not only that, but Lululemon's having to go um, to different segments for growth. The the best, fastest growing segment for Lululemon in the quarter they just reported was menswear. Right. Um, so my question was, does anybody here own a shirt from Lululemon? No. No, and Didn't that, think so. that kind of goes to the point. Of I was trying to make earlier, though, how Lululemon's kind of backed into this corner with their niche. It is very much a women's brand for leisure wear. And you're right, they are trying to grow out of that into menswear. And again, to their credit, their online sales have been ticking up pretty consistently over the last couple of quarters. Like They're doing things right, but it's it's tough to have that conversation. I'm not going to walk into a Lululemon 
on my own and buy sweatpants there. That's just, it's not. Your girlfriend's going to have to drag you in. It's there. not my <laughs> brand. It is my girlfriend's brand or your wife's brand or your daughter's brand, whatever. And, and, as for Under Armour, they don't really have that. Uh, they have that sort of leisure wear as a sports sort of uh, market, uh, and, I, and they actually have so much more room to grow in several markets. Like their footwear uh, has been outstanding for Under Armour these last couple of quarters. We got Stephen Curry, uh, who's just been phenomenal, and he's their biggest brand ambassador. Uh, his footwear line is selling uh, hand over foot. Uh, their footwear segment grew 64 percent year over year this past year. They've got new launches of smart running shoes, new golf shoes with Jordan Spieth as their uh, spokesperson. So I think Under Armour, like I said before, has a lot of different directions it can grow. Lululemon, not nearly as many. And that worries me. Yeah, so in their latest report, Vince, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Um, They said they want to double sales by 2020. My eyebrows popped at that. Mark here is not buying it. I mean, they can maybe sell to a bunch of men. Like. Is this possible? Okay. They want to double <clears throat> sales by opening stores and stuff. Yeah, by but keeping in mind what you guys said in terms of the market being really crowded, I will not deny that, especially in the athleisure segment. You know, within uh, you know, call it sporting re- uh, apparel overall, definitely getting very crowded. I understand that, but they uh, Lululemon's footprint is still quite small, three hundred fifty stores, and mostly concentrated in the U.S. At that, right? They're seeing a you know, you mentioned men's growth as being a big driver for them, but also international growth is a big driver for them. So, I think that's very ambitious on their part. But at the same time, there's also some longer term trends, like in terms of demographics, that are benefiting them as well. So Morgan Stanley again had this report talking about just uh, sporting retail, about how the fact that in North America, for example, high school sports participation is up. Ten uh, percent, or from twenty-five percent to thirty-five percent over the past thirty-five years, and especially with girls, which benefits a little. I mean, hmm. participation's doubled from seventeen percent to thirty percent over the same period. Then you keep in mind the fact that you know U.S. professional sports leagues. Their studies say that interest in their product, their sports, is very much tied to the fact that the, the consumers participate when they were younger. So that kind of doubles up, right, as it goes on through time, yeah. and. You know, Latin America, super low uh, penetration. So, does that benefit an Under Armour more so? Probably because the premium prices aren't going to work as well in some of these emerging markets. Right. But overall, I think that with China, for example, another big growth area for both of these companies, and the fact that the government there is actually pushing its citizens into healthier lifestyles and to be active because they basically want a next generation of highly competitive athletes to participate in. Are they know, actually telling them to work out? They're they're very much pushing them. <laughs> Big to Brother's telling lifestyle. you to work out, <laughs> and I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I think uh, yeah. So, you know, that is a it's a nice push to have um, when basically you know you think about basketball. You know, the number of people who play basketball in China is absurd per day. It's hundreds of millions. So when you have a market that size, I see the competition, of course, just being the fact that you know the market is so strong that people want to get into this business. Mm. Cool. All right. Well, Mark, you, Mark, thank you for joining us. We'll have to have you back. Yeah, I knocked it out of the park. Uh, you guys should definitely have me back. And he's so <laughs> humble, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I was happy to be here. Thanks uh, for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you. And if you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people in this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Vincent Shen and Mark Reith, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!